Welcome to The Art of Significance with your host, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, university professor, gold record songwriter, and award-winning athlete, Dan Clark. Get ready for engaging discussions with some of the most influential people in the world who will impart their wisdom, stories, and inspiration on why and how to achieve the level beyond success. Now here's your host, Dan Clark. Welcome. Hope you've had a wonderful week. For those of you who get my show as a podcast on demand, I sure appreciate it. Welcome from all over the world, especially my military fan base who are deployed and based in different parts of our earth, keeping us safe and allowing us to have this freedom of speech and this opportunity to uh, gather once a week around our computers, around my microphone, around in my sound studio and and try to influence the world. Today's show is amazing. Sherry Call, I've been a fan of hers for a thousand years, even though she only looks like she's 21. Her music will impress you. Her life, her uh, character, her love of of life and her passion will come through. I can't wait to interview. She'll be my first guest. Coming up after her, though, is a dear, dear friend. He's been on the show multiple times. Retired Major General Don Alston, uh, graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, but he is uh, now president of Alston Strategic Consulting, specializing in high-sequence strategy and strategic planning and safety intensive operations for nuclear weapons. So he's going to give us an insight on what's really going on in North Korea and South Korea and the peace talks and the new de- the, the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And it's my job to, to hook the two guests together in their messages. And I think it's going to be obvious when we get through with this show today. Because this is the voiceamerica.com network and it's broadcast all over the world and because this is the influencers channel, for those of you who have been following me since day one on the air, you realize that I highlight music because the music is the, because music is our international language. It ties us together. It's the key of peace. It's the one thing that <clears throat> all cultures, communist cultures, capitalist cultures, socialist cultures, we all come together. And as a professional speaker, oftentimes I hear specialists go out and they are paid to come into an organization and talk about cultural diversity. And I just cringe when I hear those words because what they're talking about, are they're focusing in on what makes us different. And that's not right. We need to heal America right now and heal the world. So I talk about cultural commonality, what makes us the same, the same God who made you made me too. And music is the leveler. Music is the one thing that brings the Olympic Games together and that opening ceremony, these young men and young women competing against themselves, knowing that they can break the world's records, that anything is possible if you just believe and prepare and work hard. But the party begins when the music begins, and that's what brings us together and allows us to look beyond gender, look beyond race, look beyond cultural and socioeconomic conditions. And that's why I'm so excited to have Sherry call on my program to set the tone for my, my, my talk with Major General Don Alston, because what we're trying to do is help everybody understand that peace on earth is achievable, especially when we connect our heads with our hearts and come to that place where we all can agree. And that one place, I'm telling you, is music. 
As you've heard me talk many, many times before, there's only 12 notes in music, and every song ever written was written with the same 12 notes. So the only difference between a hit songwriter and a lousy songwriter is passion, creativity, and imagination. My first guest, Sherry Call, has been writing songs since her early teens and has released nine albums of her own songs. Prolific songwriter. Sherry is a two-time finalist in the prestigious Kerrville New Folk Songwriting Competition. She's played in the round at the legendary Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. I've done the same. What a great, great place to showcase, you know, your stories, the stories behind the songs. And that's why I'm so excited to have her on the program because I'm not just someone who likes to feature artists. I want to feature the songwriters behind the songs. And Sherry's songs have been featured in independent films, including the Banff Award-winning True Fan. Sherry's most recent project is a children's album called The Buddy System, a collaboration with singer-songwriter Lindy Butler. And from this album, their song, The Astronaut and the Mermaid, which we'll play after the break, recently won the grand prize in the children's category of the John Lennon Songwriting Contest. Whoa, girl. Sherry is a member of the Gospel Folk Collective, The Lower Light. She teaches songwriting. Thank God we can all learn from her. She's married. How tragic for all of you single men. And she's the proud mother of four children. I've been wanting to talk to Sherry Call for a thousand years. Sherry, welcome to my show. How the heck are you? I'm doing fantastic, Dan. It's so great to talk to you. Let's get right to your musical career. How early on in your life did you realize that you had this magic touch that you could interpret the world through music? I've loved music for as long as I can remember. And I think I was trying to make up songs ever since I was just a really little girl. So it's just always been who I am. I've, I've always loved it. What's the very first song you wrote? Do you remember? (laughs) Yeah, actually, I had a piano teacher who just sent everybody home with some blank sheet music, and um, I wrote a little song called Cheering Up, (laughs) and I think I was 12 years old, and and it didn't have any words, but it just, I, it went from minor, a minor key to a major key, (laughs) so. Wow, so is your instrument of choice piano? I always thought it was guitar. It is. I, I took some piano lessons when I was younger, and then. I don't know. I mostly played by ear, though. And then I picked up guitar in college, and I actually am a lot more comfortable playing guitar now than piano. I do that mostly. I, I play a little of each and a couple of other instruments, that, you know, just enough to get by and, and, and write with it. I, um, I feel most comfortable performing when I'm playing guitar. Absolutely. So who's your biggest, your greatest musical influence, do you think? Oh, musical influence. Um I think there are a few people who immediately come to mind. Um, I think of um, some songwriters and artists who I love. As an artist, I love Alison Krauss. I love um, Mary Chapin Carpenter as a songwriter. Um, I have a lot of good memories from my childhood of music of James Taylor and Carole King. Um, A lot of those artists are big influences to me. And kind of as a folk Sounding uh-huh. maybe Na- Nancy yeah. Griffith, maybe someone like that. You know, you. Uh, oh yeah, she's wonderful. Yes. You have an amazing voice. So, what uh, what inspires you most about about music? Is there a theme of each one of these nine albums that carries from one album to the next, or are they all kind of separate, inspired by different events in your life? Um, I just 
I think I've been fascinated by songwriting itself um, ever since I was a young girl, just listening to the radio and just finding a way, um, the way that people take um, take an idea, something that might have happened to them or even that happened to someone they know or even a fictional thing, but they make you feel like it happened to you or you can remember exactly how that made you feel. And so I, I just always look for, for pieces of things like that everywhere I go that I can make into a song. I... I, I think I've really learned to look at the world as a songwriter. Um, I, I can eavesdrop in on a conversation or um, just look at something like with through songwriter glasses, I think, and, and, and I could take any kind of a story and make it into, um, I mean, I, I hope anyway that something that, that people could relate to. And so I don't know if there's a common theme with everything. I do find, even without trying, that I end up, um, having hopeful messages that kind of tie their way through. Even when I write sad songs, I think there's a little piece of hope that comes through, I hope. That's kind of what I try to do. Um, that's kind of what I hope at the end of the day, even even though I, I kind of just let the songs be what they are. So I don't know wow. if that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. So with your ability to interpret events, let me put you on the hot seat. How How does that translate into being an amazing mom of four children? You know, um, when I first started having children, people asked me if I was going to write lullaby albums all the time, and I thought, oh, oh no, I'm not going to like quit knowing how to write songs about anything else, you know, and I thought that writing about my kids would be kind of like if you were at an airport showing someone your whole wallet of, like, the flip thing of pictures, <laughs> nobody's really going to care about, about these kids that they don't know. And That's funny. But, but I, but uh, you know, just being a mom, I couldn't help but write about them because they're so inspiring to me. Um, and I think that I have been able to do that in a way that, that people can still relate to, even though it's about my kids. I think especially on this recent children's project, um, Lindy and I set out to write these songs with messages that we hoped our kids could hear. And we realized that maybe we needed the messages even more than the kids did. Like the kids actually lead the way in so many ways of being kind, um, having a positive attitude, all these different messages we wanted to get across. We ended up thinking of more grown-ups that we knew that needed those messages than kids. Oh, I <laughs> but, love it. But it started out trying to teach kids <clears throat> about those things. You know, when I, uh, when I talk to parenting groups, I always ask them, how many of you try to t- to choose your children's friends and everybody gets that guilty sheepish look on their face. And then I, the commentary is what happens when we try to choose our children's friends, it forces them to have two sets of friends, those they really hang out with and those they feel comfortable enough dragging home and parading around for our approval. So what you're saying is that you can teach our children through music, maybe more powerfully than just through the spoken word. What a great idea. So are your or your songs on the buddy system, your new collaboration with, with Lindy Butler, are they message songs then? Or could we buy them as parents and, and, and inspire our children to look and listen to them? And as they listen, they will be taught and be able to understand maybe the, the title, the buddy system. Is that, is that what's really behind this album? Yeah. You know, um, Lindy and I, when we wrote these songs, we wanted them to be fun songs and that when you listen to it, you realize after the fact, <laughs> you know, that there's really a great message. We didn't want it to be, like, banging you over the head or sounding like something that came from, I don't know, a lesson of some kind. But um, I think those are the best kind of songs that you really do learn from when you find so much enjoyment in it in the first place. 
um, rather than like from the onset thinking, I am now going to teach you a lesson, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, Sit down so and let of, me teach you. Yeah. smart, you know? I think a lot oh, of yeah. times songwriters think they need to talk down to kids or dumb things down for them, mm-hmm. but um, that's not what I find with my own kids. You know, they know what's going on. They know when somebody's trying to, to sell them something, you know? I think they oh, do. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So we, we wanted to make it so it was first and foremost music that was interesting to them and fun they could dance to it and they could or they could hear a fun story but uh, but then when they thought about it they um you know there there are things that you could learn from it about having a positive attitude or uh, or being a friend to someone who might not be exactly like you that was kind of the message of that astronaut and the mermaid song absolutely but. what a great song i've listened to it a couple of times yeah so and through music when it's catchy when you feel like you can tap a toe and and dance, then you want to listen to it again. So now you're educating our kids through space repetition, which is the best way to do it. Very, very clever, Mom. So how'd well, you come you know, up with the I title of the buddy system? From my mom. My my mother used to, she was a math teacher, and she used to ask me to write multiplication table songs <laughs> that she could oh teach her, her um, students how to learn the, the multiplication tables. And They were boring songs, but sometimes if you listen to them enough, that the answers could get in your head, but hopefully Absolutely. these are more exciting than that. <laughs> you know, the way that we remember and memorize the presidents of the United States all in successive order was through a song. That's how, you know, A, B, C, D, oh, yeah. we all learned that. You're, you're, you're onto something there, my friend. Talk to us about the title. How'd you come up with the buddy system? That's something for all adults to hear as well. Well, um, the, so initially, um, we thought it would be a cute way because Lindy has her own songwriting career, and so do I. We've been solo artists on our own. But we wanted to team up for this project, and so in the first place, that was one reason why we called it The Buddy System, because she and I were buddies, and we were making this, this project. Um, but then also, um, the song itself, Lindy really wanted to write a song about how, um, you know, everyone needs a friend, and why don't you be that friend? You know, and so that's kind of what, what The Buddy System is. A lot of people think about the buddy system, you know, if you're on a field trip and you need to use the buddy system to make sure everybody knows that you're all there and that nobody gets lost. And, you know, I think life is that way. You know, let's make sure that nobody's getting lost. Let's make sure that we're all here together. Wow. Great message. You know, we need to go to a commercial break, but when we come back, my guest is Sherry Call. We're going to keep talking about the influence of music in our world and how she has influenced the world. But I also uh, can't wait to play your, your song, The Astronaut and the Mermaid. What a clever way to talk and teach our children and, and adults. This is the VoiceAmerica.com Network Influencers Channel. Your host, Dan Clark here. And my guest is Sherry Call, hit songwriter of nine albums. You don't want to go anywhere. Let's take a commercial break, and we'll be back in a minute. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. 
You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to Clark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back. My guest is Sherry Call. She's been writing songs since her early teens. And as I said before, she's released nine albums of her own songs. I love songwriters. They see the world differently. We all know as parents and as educators, as coaches, that we don't learn critical thinking skills through math and science, we learn critical thinking skills through the arts, especially through music, because music is about passion and creativity and imagination. Because this is the Influencers Channel, as you know, listeners, I always try to highlight music and especially a songwriter who gets it, who sees life differently. So Sherry is the mother of four, happily married, young children under the age of 12, my goodness, but what a prolific songwriter. And her newest album is called The Buddy System. Let's talk about why you decided to focus in on children. Is it because you have four of your own now? Um, do you feel called to help parents, especially mothers, teach their children? And the easiest way to do that is through music because we repeat the songs we love. And if you repeat the messages enough, you get it. Teach us why you're focusing in on children at this stage in your long career. Well, um, this this was actually Lindy's idea. It, it was something that she had always wanted to do. And, and like I was talking about before, it was something that really hadn't been um, a big priority for me originally. Um, but the more I, you know, have learned from my kids and been inspired by them, and, how my, and the more I've realized what I wish I could teach them, um, I don't know, I think it, like, like any of my song ideas, um, it starts with me wanting to tell a story or 
help myself somehow, and then it reaches further than that. So I think that Lindy and I saw needs of our own kids. You know, I have a little girl who sometimes can, like, be really fatalistic. You know, it's everything is the end of the world if a little thing goes wrong. And so I wanted to write a little happy song for her uh, called Oh No, Oh Yes, about being positive. And so that happened. And then Lindy wanted to write a song about people being friends, and we wrote The Buddy System, kind of all from little things that we saw, real things that happened with our kids and their friends and um, things that we that we wanted to do. So, you know, maybe it's kind of selfish uh, motives in the beginning that we wanted to do it for our own kids, but, um, but it spread so much further than that, and that makes me happy. I, I never imagined um, that even grown-ups... <laughs> Like I said, uh, love these songs and and the messages in them. It's been really fun. Absolutely. So let's jump ship and talk about you as a member of the Gospel Folk Collective called The Lower Lights. Who is this group? What do you do? How do you perform? Where do you perform? So there are a lot of local musicians, um, local Utah musicians. They all have their own, like me, you know, everybody has their own gig that they do. They've got their own um, career, but one thing we've, that we all had in common is that we were, worked a lot in June Audio with the producer, Scott Wiley. And Scott kind of brought us all together to record old hymns and gospel songs, um, songs by Willie Nelson or Hank Williams or the Leuven Brothers, and we kind of put our own spin on it. And um, we do... We do shows all year round, but our very biggest shows are at Christmas time at Kingsbury Hall. Um, and it's really fun because we all have different styles, um, different things that we do, but then, then we form this gigantic band. There's, you know, over 20 people on stage playing. Wow. And, um, and then we, but we do these huge um, Christmas shows that are so fun and, and other big shows at other times of the year. So if you look up the lower lights, um, you could kind of see what we're all about. There's some videos on YouTube. Um, wow, that's, that's, I had no that idea. One of the most fun, um, fun groups that I've been in. I love that band. It's really fun. Well, put in a good word for me because I'm always good for lip syncing three Britney Spears songs and ending with a meaningful poem. So hopefully I'll get a call from <laughs> you or Wiley or something in your next show. <laughs> so I'm curious. Because my show is so diverse and I choose week to week how I can how I can team up and, and coagulate two guests. My show used to be two hours long, and I thought, you know what? I want to focus better, focus more on just two guests over an hour period of time. And you're my first guest on purpose because I have a very profound question, my dear. Are you ready? I, I hope so. I'm ready. <laughs> so children, and they are, they, they are not racist. They are not sexist. They are, they are un. Uh, you know, they 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 spew unconditional love. For some reason, as we grow older, we start getting these twisted views of the world. Teach us about your your understanding that if you have this song, you know, "Astronaut and the Mermaid," which we'll listen to in a moment, and you can get your 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 album, your newest album, "The Buddy System." If we could help you distribute it to all of the world. What would happen to peace on earth? Let's just philosophize for a moment and teach me and teach us about the significance of music being the international language and that really and truly, if we could embrace good 
songs that you write, good songs that amazing songwriters write, that that would be a good point and a good starting place maybe to start healing our country. What do you think? Well, you know, that would be amazing. And I think that music does have that power. One of the reasons why is that I think songwriting in general takes takes big things that get tangled up in your mind and um, might seem big and heavy and complicated, and it simplifies it and makes it smaller. And I think that's what any good song does. That instead of thinking about everything in this big general way that, that can be depressing and, and overwhelming, if you think about it... the just a tiny, a tiny um, chunk of that story, you know, it, everything starts to make more sense. With the song The Astronaut and the Mermaid, um, you know, it, it, we could have written a song saying everybody should be friends, you know, and it, it, that can be hard, it can be kind of complicated, but we ended up writing this song about how um, just these two, you know, imaginary fictional characters become friends and the differences they have and the things that are the same they look at those things and then they realize that what matters the most is being friends, you know? I the, totally the astronaut agree. realizes that, that he floats around in space and the mermaid floats around in the ocean. And even though they're really different, that's one thing they both like to do. You know, there's all these different little things. Uh, and it, it takes a big thing and makes it small. And I think if everybody could do that, you know, a lot of times when people have these prejudices, when they meet a real person that they become friends with, those prejudices start to go away. And, and so I think that's what... I think that's what music does because the goal of any songwriter is to take something big and make it smaller so that you can just put a magnifying glass on it and see the details. I love it. You're so wise. So let's go to Sherry Call's collaboration with songwriting companion Lindy Butler. You both wrote this song together, my friend? Yes, it, it, um, it was came from an idea of Lindy's about uh, she just... Um, was talking about an astronaut and mermaid collaboration, and I was really intrigued by that. <laughs> I wondered what that would look like. So yeah. we made it into a song. Sounds yeah. like my junior prom date. We won't go there. We'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, my guest is Sherry Call, and now let's listen to her hit song from her newest album, The Buddy System. It's called The Astronaut and the Mermaid, and listen to the lyric because it will introduce my next guest, the amazing, my hero, true hero in life, Major General John Ixon. John, yeah, way to blow that one, Clark. My hero, Major General Don Alston. But this is Sherry Call's amazing song, Listen to the Lyric. Again, Astronaut and the Mermaid. Once there was a mermaid Swimming gracefully When a spaceship started sinking To the bottom of the sea It landed in her garden And she kind of felt annoyed But the spaceman was just a boy She hid behind some coral And watched him for a bit He looked a little lost Then he found a place to sit She swam and sat beside him And she thought she saw him smile And she said maybe He could visit for a while And she said maybe An astronaut and a mermaid could be good friends Even though we're not the same We could save each other from the monsters 
If we learned each other's names He said the ocean's not so different From outer space I'm feeling kind of weightless In this underwater place And your hair looks cool and crazy And there are fish that look like stars Tomorrow, maybe we could go to Mars I'll bet you'd like to swim around In zero gravity And the Martians won't be scary As long as you're with me And we could chase the comets I think it sounds like fun You could still be home for dinner when we're done He said maybe an astronaut and a mermaid Could be good friends Even though we're not the same We could save each other from the monsters And play each other's games If we learned each other's names is me Maybe an astronaut and a mermaid could be good friends even though we're not the same We could save each other from the monsters and play each other's games Tell me what's your name Awesome. You just listened to Sherry Call sing a magnificent song. Very metaphorical, very powerful. The Astronaut and the Mermaid. In 15 seconds, Sherry, let's uh, sign off. Tell us how we can get a hold of you. What is your website? How do we join your tribe? Um, my website is sherrycall.com. That's C-H-E-R-I-E-C-A-L-L.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, find me everywhere. And I'd, I'd love for you to become a part of my tribe. <laughs> And I will, my dear. I'm going to track you down. I'll go on the website right after I get off the air and find out where you're performing next. Thanks so much, my dear. We love you. Thank we honor you, you. Thank you so much. You betcha. My next guest, Bye-bye. don't go. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. My next guest, Major General Don Alston. You know, I have so much love and respect for this general, this amazing leader, this world voice of influence that I've known now for a while. And some of you might think, that was a cheesy song, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional speaker and when someone opens for me or if you're a headliner like, like Paul McCartney and, and someone opens for you, it's part of the show. But if you think about the message of Astronaut and the Mermaid and now we bring in Major General Don Alston retired, we're, we're talking South and North Korea right now and we're talking Rocket Man astronaut who now is extending a hand to, for all intents and purposes, a mermaid. And this experience I want you to to illuminate on, General. I remember first meeting General Colin Powell and his assignment as an army officer 
was the Berlin Wall. And in one day, he was told, you hate the Russians, you hate East Germany, you hate the communists, and you must protect capitalism, you must protect protect our Western ideals and our freedom. And the next day, he's told, oh, no, 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 they're no longer the enemy. We need to love them, embrace them. We need to trust them. What a convoluted challenge for anyone and please help us make sense of this the astronaut and the mermaid it is coming to fruition as we speak welcome general i'm going to talk a little bit more about your amazing resume as we go on with the rest of the show but welcome we need to just go right to south and north korea brother how are you dan uh thanks so much for having me on and uh, i'll tell you that first segment in your show uh, Sherry, she's uh, pretty special, and uh, I really appreciate being on the same show with her. So thank you very much. Uh, you know, one comment, uh, Dan, on your Colin Powell story. You know, it's it's really the the uh, the classic uh, appraisal of potential adversaries where you can uh, look at the fantastic capabilities they have. You must respect the capabilities, and frankly, it's all you really should be planning against are the capabilities because – uh, there was a moment where uh, things uh, were different, that the relationships warmed. We're in a whole different place right now. But we also started to make some choices based, based on expectations and intent. And now I think we've gotten back to hard fundamentals, which is you've really got to plan against capabilities because intent can change overnight. Absolutely. And because I'm a layman and you are a general, let's just talk about that in real language now. So I want all the listeners to know from 2005 to 2006, General Alston served in Baghdad as the Deputy Chief of Staff, Strategic Communications and Spokesman for Multinational Force Engaging International Media with the Iraqi government. General Alston is is going to have a book coming out soon. We're going to push that. We're going to turn that into a New York Times bestseller, guaranteed, General. But without taking precious time to just talk about your amazing background, working with the Global Strike Command and the, the, the global, the nuclear enterprise. Talk to us about the world now in in lieu of what's happening in, in South and North Korea. Is that a possibility with China and Russia, or do we still have to just get into a new arms race and basically say, don't mess with me? That's what brought us to the, the negotiation table in North Korea. Don't you agree that we basically said, here's the line. We're never going to move it again like a previous administration did. We're going to just basically enforce our values, and you're not going to mess with us. And suddenly they realized that it's not about who's right. It's about what's right, and it's better to have peace on earth than to have conflict. Is that a possibility that that's going to permeate for the rest of the world? Or what do we do, sir? Teach us. Oh. Well, I'll tell you, Dan, um, you certainly nailed the history. I mean, North Korea has a long reputation of bringing the region to crisis, um, negotiating um, things favorable to them uh, in exchange for a temporary change in behavior. And then after a certain period of time, they went back to their old ways. And we have been unable to um, permanently or even for a long duration change the behaviors in a productive way you know, frankly, for the safety of the region and the safety of the world. And now, of course, he's crossed the nuclear threshold, and things are different. I think the president's approach uh, has been hardball, and uh, this is not the way we've done it in the past. And I believe he deserves credit for bringing, uh, bringing this issue to the table. And I don't think we would have gotten here without this maximum pressure campaign. 
I also think that China and Russia, uh, you know, China is uh, uncomfortable that with the crossing of the nuclear threshold by North Korea, uh, they appreciate the uh, security interests that the United States, Japan, and South Korea have. And, uh, you know, they don't, they don't like large numbers of U.S. forces in the region. And they wouldn't like it if we became even more of a um, uh, collaborating community. I mean, right now we have very effective relationships with South Korea and we have them with Japan. It would be even stronger if South Korea and Japan also had closer uh, interests. But nonetheless, uh, the neighborhood is rallying against uh, the situation that we all recognize as a big threat. And, uh, and Russia, you know, continue to watch them because they want to be the straw that stirs the drink in every region of the world, and they will not sit on the outsides as this negotiation takes place. So I think it's important that we, we take uh, our best shot here because the sec- our security and the regional security and even larger really uh, needs us to try to see if we can bring this together. But I, I, uh, I don't think we can, uh, we won't uh, pl- get played in the way we've been played in the past. So it's high stakes, but uh, I think it's worth a try. So the timing of the two B-52s that took off in Guam, and we uh, engaged in some exercises over the South China Sea, and there's, you know, China, most people don't realize China has a blue water navy, and I question what the heck do they need a blue water navy for? What are their intentions? What are their plans 20 years from now? What's up? So we have to be on guard. We have to vote to fully... Uh, fully fund our, 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 our weapon systems and, and talk to that about the timing of our exercises in the South China sure. Sea. Most people aren't aware of what's really going on, sir, and you, of all the people on the planet, are the consummate expert. You should be on CNN once a week. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Dan, the, uh, the mischief that China is uh, doing every day in the South China Sea is uh, very interesting. And you're right, a lot of people don't know they're actually building islands. So there's these areas where there's coral reefs that are very shallow, and they go out and they actually manufacture an island. They build a very long uh, military-supportable runway, and they build a sufficiently deep water port. And then they plant their flag, and they send tourists over there, and they claim it as an extension of their territory. So this is in international waters, but they're trying to extend their perimeter from their point of view. And, of course, the Vietnamese, the Philippines, uh, the United States, Taiwan, everybody, and Japan, um, everyone has raised uh, very serious concerns about the aggressive nature. And, of course, China has their hooks in in, in all the continents. And they do it typically uh, with uh, financial dependencies that they create. These are not financial terms that are necessarily favorable to the other party, uh, but, but they get their hooks in there. And they, uh, you know, there's, they're going to get minerals or whatever they're looking out of this but the host government's getting a lot of money. So they've created these dependencies over a long period of time, and there's no continent where they do not have a very substantial strategic position. So, um, you know, you mentioned our uh, capacity that is resident on Guam as Air Force Global Strike Command rotates um, our bomber force there and our heavy bomber force, and, of course, the Navy has a large presence. And that is a, a very important place for us to be, and it's a very important message that, uh, that the nation sends when, whether it's B-1s, B-2s, B-52s, um, are out flying in the area. They're demonstrating our resolve and commitment to our friends, and they're also a very important, significant uh, signaling 
message to uh, China and the other players in the region that we're there, and uh, we're gonna we got the back of our friends, and we've got direct interest in the area, and we're gonna protect them. I love it. So let's talk. Let's flip to Russia. Uh, do you what? What's the what's the the What's the new target of Russia? Do you think they're going to impose what they did in, in Kiev and Ukraine on the Baltics and Latvia, Lithuania and, and, and Estonia? Do you think that's their next target to reestablish the Soviet Union? I think if you were to draw a line from the Baltics uh, directly through mm-hmm. to Crimea, I think you'd see the edge of the perimeter that Russia is fighting in today, if you will, geopolitically. And so, you know, they, over the last uh, couple of years, when they went to Crimea, they raised their hand and said, don't forget, we're a serious uh, nuclear heavyweight, so everybody stand fast while we're doing what we're doing here. And we had an ineffective response to deter that. Uh, they they uh, raised their hand when they went into Syria, to Saudi Arabia and Turkey, and said, don't forget, we're a he- nuclear weapons heavyweight. Uh, stand fast, and they threatened Denmark and Sweden in case they might show interest in hosting uh, regional uh, missile warning centers uh, there and threatening with nuclear weapons. And then they, uh, we read that they're buzzing the U.S. fleet, but the reality is uh, in the North Sea. But the reality is the message is for the message is for Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. So they're doing major exercises to threaten Western Europe. And um, it's of great concern, especially to those former Soviet Union republics. Um, the fear is palpable over there that, uh, you know, the next move could include them. So um, Russia, unfortunately, Russia not only talks about a doctrine that sometimes people refer to as escalate to de-escalate, but it's really escalate to win. And frankly, it is not a, a weapon, uh, a threshold of last resort. Um, they write and talk regularly about the the utility of using low-yield nuclear weapons uh, early in a conflict to end things favorable on their terms. So, I mean, this kind of conversation has not been uh, something that we've been talking about for the last 20 years, this directly, this openly. And so I think it's reckless, and I think, but I think it's a very serious danger. And, uh, and I think that Russia wants to ensure that they are putting pressure on stability and any of the initiatives the United States has. It plays really well at home for Putin. Um, and it also uh, makes some of our friends uh, nervous. So they're very, um, I think they're very effectively rattling their saber, nuclear and conventional, and, um, and they, they want to be in every strategic conversation around the world because they, they want to seek advantage and they want to degrade our advantages. So, teach us about this <clears throat> this report that came out on our nuclear capabilities. Teach us what the, the what it's called, how how we achieve that, and then I want you to comment on the sword rattling of Putin and and all I saw was our own our own news coverage, but apparently he showed some animations of these rockets that right. they have that we can't shoot down and blah, blah, blah. And our response was, yeah, they've been saying that for 15 years. That's not even achievable. So comment on that. Teach us, bring us up to speed because one of the things that I find as I travel the world, sir, is our naivety. Everybody thinks we can just sit around on towels and sing kumbaya and that everybody's going to be peaceful. So that makes me nervous, and you're the resident expert. I know that you're focused on 
on peace. And most people don't understand that the profession of arms is the profession of peace. We do whatever is required to establish and maintain peace. So school us, boss. I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. You just teach us what's on your mind and teach us what we need to know as, as, as voters and as citizens of the United States. Well, I'll get to the uh, Putin cartoons or his animations in a second. But first, uh, I, I'll make a couple of comments about the nuclear posture review that was published uh, early February this year. And that followed um, that uh, the president released a national security strategy. Uh, the Department of Defense followed it with a national defense strategy. And then we have the nuclear posture review. The, the reason I throw all those out there is um, there is a proper sequence to setting broad guidance and then uh, you know, but distilling out of that the future direction, and of course, this big one is the nuclear posture review, and what it recognizes, and it 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 is uh, it it has a lot of consistencies from the time we had a triad back in the uh, uh, around 1960, a triad including nuclear capable bombers, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, and the sea-based nuclear deterrent as well on submarines and. And we reinforced that over these uh, 50 years, nearly 60 years. So that's been consistent across all administrations. We're not going to do uh, nuclear testing at this time. That's been consistent since 1992. So I could go on with a, shorter li- a short list of all of the consistencies over time, administration to administration, on how we view nuclear weapons and the stability they provide. But where it departs from 2010 is it looks at the world we have today. And as much as there was a lot of hope back in 2010 that we were going to reset our relationship with Russia, um, it, uh, it hasn't proved to be that way. And we, we asked the global community to follow us, and, and nobody did in terms of reductions. In fact, the opposite occurred. Um, I don't know that they were stimulated by that position in 2010, but the, all the countries with nuclear weapons uh, have been modernizing and building arsenals except the United States. So we've been a bit flat-footed, and now we're trying to recover. But it's very important that it frames the threats that our um, military and our nation, I should say, because it's not just about the military um, part of our national power, but, you know, economic and uh, and, and the other elements of national power. But it it, it describes a world uh, in great detail of the threats uh, to stability that these nuclear powers and these rising nuclear powers like China uh, continue to present to us. And then it fortifies the need for the continued need for a triad. And then it goes into great detail on the modernization um, uh, of our nuclear capabilities. And of course, the, the Navy has been well out in front with this uh, to try to replace their Ohio class submarine. It requires fantastic lead time of, of a generation in order to put a new submarine in the water. And uh, that program is on track. And then we moved out with a nuclear-capable bombarder. We call it the B-21 Raider. And so that is going to be added to our arsenal, and that will become a nuclear-capable bomber. It uh, it fortifies our need to make one of our, our newest fighter, the F-35, to be a nuclear platform. It uh, and, and, of course, it gets to our um, intercontinental ballistic missile force where the Minuteman III weapon system is uh, is funded uh, through the early 2030s, but it needs to be replaced. And so the ground-based strategic deterrent is the is the inarticulate name for the follow-on to the ICBM. Uh, but all these programs right now are on track with the appropriate resources, and um, and so there's because of the Trump administration, because of the Trump administration and the and this and the Congress and, and Senate that we have in place right now. 
Right, exactly, exactly. And a really good point because obviously uh, those uh, folks get turned out or the nation chooses to move in a different direction. These programs are, are fragile enough that, uh, you know, if we don't keep them on track, we're going to be in trouble. And as the commander of strategic command says, we're already, uh, we have no margin left. And so if these programs get delayed at all, then we have concerns about uh, how, uh, uh, just how much the, uh, we can sustain the Minuteman Three without extraordinary heavy lifting when it comes to maintaining that program farther into the future. Uh, as well as our bomber force, which is a highly capable bomber force. The B-52 is probably going to go to 2050 now. And the B-2, yeah. our stealth bomber, is still an awesome platform. But adversaries' uh, uh, defensive capabilities um, are going to make that more vulnerable over time. Uh, and you can't, unfortunately, our nation is not as agile as it used to be on how to uh, churn these uh, systems out. And so uh, we need to get faster at it, but at the current pace of acquisition, um, we're we're right where we uh, we can't we can't delay any of this. And so, and I should say that you know I'm 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 very encouraged that we probably are going to have a, a, a helicopter to support securing the ICBM force, which you know our 1969 genre uh, Vietnam era U helicopters need that support to uh, need to be replaced. So anyway, Dan, there's a lot of there's a lot of groceries we're buying, and uh, and right now. Uh, the money is there for for the stage we're at, but there's certainly nothing certain as we move forward. I agree. So let's just talk for a moment. We have a few minutes left. <clears throat> so pre- previous administration, they draw the line in Syria, and then and then Syria crosses the line with chemical weapons. We right. don't have any response. We finally attack the base when Assad you know, killed his innocent people with chemical weapons. And now this latest response of ours where we took out their their chemical manufacturing plants and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Teach me, teach us how Russia's threatening us, you know, you know, we have nuclear weapons, don't mess with us, blah, blah, blah. Right. And obviously they're in bed with Syria and we came over there and basically said, don't mess with us. Talk to us about what you think the military mindset, the political mindset of Putin and the Russian uh, military is right now, because they are they really thinking that they need to have a counter response or are they just going to basically say you're right? Because what we say apparently is that if you do it again, we're positioned to take everything out again. Right, right. Well, I think that Putin uh, may have been a bit surprised uh, with this response. Sure, we did. We did uh, a little more than a year ago um, do a uh, an attack against uh, in reaction to a chemical weapons attack. Um, this was, I think, it was a, a measured but a proportionate. It was uh, violent, and it was from everything that I've read. It's it was successful at every level, and and it room leaves room for escalation. But I think that um, I think Putin, uh, you know, he hasn't this kind of seen a consistent. Um, strong response by the United States and the West. And it's very important that France and the United Kingdom are with us. And so, um, because it, it, it shows a unified front enforcing a norm against using chemical weapons. I mean, this can't be tolerated. I mean, this, this is an expression, you use the word values, Dan, at the outset of our conversation today. That's fundamentally what's at war right now. Um, our values, um, our values, uh, many which are shared with our friends and allies 
both in Europe and, and in the Pacific. And our values are dem- demonstrably different than the values of our competitors, uh, both China and Russia. And so it seems like Russia is trying to force folks to, to uh, side, you know, to pick a side. Um, well, the side that has the values that we espouse, and, you know, not to get too overdramatic here, but I'm talking about freedom. Um, these, these values um, are, uh, you know, essential to our collective character. And frankly, um, they have been the opposing force for, for darker forces that have maintained stability at the highest levels um, over generations. So, you know, we, we can't let these, we can't let a new standard be uh, created when somebody uh, wantonly uses weapons of mass destruction like chemical weapons. And, you know, let's just say this. Putin in a, uh, stands by a guy that uses chemical weapons. Putin uses bio, biological nerve agents, so that's a second uh, character uh, characterization of weapons of mass destruction to to kill a spy in the United Kingdom, and he threatens uh, nuclear all the time. So he he's comfortable throwing his weight around with with uh, chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons. Um, this is rhetoric that has got to change, and uh, and frankly, the United States and its friends and allies need to stand in the breach. And you and I are both. Big men, you know, you're 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 a specimen, you know. You 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 can you can you could probably still bench press 300 pounds and make the little polo horse of gallop on your on your on your shirt. But you and I have <coughs> been fortunate to live a life where a lot of we've you and I have avoided a lot of fights because we're big. They don't want to mess with us because they know at least we're good for one punch, and that punch is going to put them into the third row. So at some point, America's passiveness has got to come to reality don't you believe that some of these people they only understand force with force and as long as we're backing it up maybe they will understand that it's better to have peace than to have a fight because at the end of the day (laughs) historically the u.s of a ain't gonna lose a battle or we might lose one battle but we're never gonna lose a war when are they gonna catch that vision and i want you to wind us down from a voter's perspective, why we have to keep supporting our military at the voting booths with with finance to stay strong so that we have that big fist in the air saying, don't mess with us. Our values are right, and we will defend them until our last breath. Teach us. Well, Dan, you know, um, the United United States military does so many things. And when you look around the world and how we apply force, if that's what we're required to do, or to stand there with our allies to ensure that we're uh, maintaining stability in different regions. We're in so many places, and certainly there is a degree of possible fatigue for how long we've been flying, for example, combat sorties in the Middle East, because we've been doing it since since 1991, uh, the United States Air Force. But our military is engaged in a lot of places, and it's not all about... Um, uh, violence. It's also about maintaining stability. And so we have an extraordinarily agile and adaptable uh, United States military. And and frankly, no one can do humanitarian uh, like the military. And whether that is supported by a, uh, a carrier battle group or it's supported by extraordinary airmen with uh, fantastic airlift missions, um, we are in a lot of places and answer the call to to help uh, you know folks face with fantastic adversity. You know we're not, uh, and we're not trying to portray ourselves as the as some moral policeman, uh, but certainly there are serious challenges to stability, 
and to our national interests that need to be answered. And I think our military is an example to the world every day uh, that we, uh, you know, we're a model that is worthy of emulation and uh, and we reflect our values. And so Absolutely. Um, I think the United States military is, uh, you know, well, it's, of course, the strongest in the world, but also it's very measured in its application. Absolutely. And what a perfect way to end my show. My guest has been Major General Don Alston, who's a dear, dear friend, a superhero of America. And I appreciate you so much. I can't wait to get to to keep inspiring you to get your book out. You are truly the consummate expert in what's going on in the world. I love you. I honor you. Is there any way we can get a hold of you yet, or are we going to wait to launch your book and make sure everybody can buy a few copies to give away? Well, I've got some fun things going on at AlstonStrategic.com. I've had the chance okay. to do a series of media appearances that that might be entertaining. You'll never get those minutes back, though, if you click on them, but uh, they might be interesting. And you can find me at uh, Alston Strategic on Twitter as well. All right. Thanks, General. And we'll talk uh, off off the air. I love you. I honor you. And you are so in tune with what's happening in the world. I can't wait to have you back on my show. And always great to be with you. I appreciate it. Thanks, General. You have a great day. Bye. You too. So there you have it, Dan Clark, VoiceAmerica.com, Influencers Channel. Join my tribe at DanClark.com and join me next week. We have two extraordinary guests to continue on with my push as far as music and the spoken word. Next week, my guest is going to be a Grammy Award-winning songwriter, Marcus Humman and Becca Stevens, who's the founder of Thistle Farms, which is a sanctuary that helps women who have escaped trafficking, violence, and addiction. Please stay tuned next week. DanClark.com. This is Voice America. I love my life. Keep our military in your prayers and have a great week. Thanks for being part of the show. Be sure to join Dan Clark next Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time for another edition of The Art of Significance on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Remember, you too can achieve the level beyond success.